Dunfermline Athletic Former Players Association podcast is sponsored by Starna Apparel. Affordable and stylish clothing born on the terraces. Visit their website, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to episode 6 of the Dunfermline Athletic Former Players Association podcast, Walking Down the Holbeef Road, where we will reminisce about yesteryear and the players who have been lucky enough to wear the famous black and white stripes. I'm your host, Mikey Mokkevich, and on this episode we speak to a player who signed for the club from Bordeaux in 1989. His time was sadly hampered by a series of bad injuries, but when fit, he showed the East End Park faithful his real talents on the park, including scoring four goals in one game against Clyde. His time at the club came to an abrupt end when he announced a shock move to St Johnson in 1994. In this episode, we hear the real story behind that move, and his fondness for his time spent at East End Park. So sit back, grab a bovril, and enjoy this one with George O'Boyle. George O'Boyle was in top form. This spectacular kick inside the box, crashing off the bar. You have to feel for Dunfermline winning more games and scoring more goals than anyone else in the UK, but missing out on the title and promotion. Their 93rd goal of the season came from O'Boyle. His 20th of the campaign, but the five-goal victory, not enough to see them up to the Premier League. But the fans at the end stayed to pay tribute to the players. I think um, it was a good day. The crowd enjoyed it and the players enjoyed it. I think everybody enjoyed it right up till the final whistle. And then the, the penny dropped, realised that we didn't get promotion. But um, I think it's been a good season. The supporters here have really enjoyed it. The high school scores in Britain. And um, we're just really disappointed for ourselves, the supporters, for everybody connected with the club. Hi George, how are you doing? Not too bad, Mikey. How's yourself? Brilliant. Great to have. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. Nah, really good. Like I've said to you before, we've been trying to track you down for for a long time, so it's great to finally speak to you. Hi, um, it's great to speak to yourselves. Um, obviously, had a good five years at the Pars, so um, looking forward to chatting to you. So you were born in Belfast in December 1967. What what was Belfast like for a for a young George O'Boyle? I think pretty much um, as anybody of that generation, um, it was. Well, I mean, uh, probably Belfast was a little bit more um, hard to live in because of the troubles and stuff like that. But we just seen. You know what I mean? Went to school as a young boy with a footballer football under my arm. And um, met my mates and played before school started, and then the same after school, and and that kept us busy. I, I'm guessing as a youngster, did you have aspirations to to be a footballer quite young, or that come? Um, I think it was. I've, I've always, always always had a football. Um, all my mates played and um, stuff like that. So we were always talking about football, and then you get that age where people start saying to you that you're good and you realise that you, you maybe are a bit better than the rest of your mates. 
that that gives you every indication then that maybe this, you know, I mean, you, you want it to be, but whether I think every kid wanted to be. Yeah, so you got to move to Manchester City, I think, when you were just 14 years old. Did you have other opportunities to to sign for other clubs? or And how did the move to Manchester City come about? Um, well, in Belfast at that time, um, sweet football was a big thing. So every Saturday morning, the playing fields in Belfast were all filled with schools, teams from like um, first year right up to um, under 15, 16s, whatever the last year was you were there. So that was the big thing. So all the scouts were always in um, nine o'clock Saturday mornings at the playing fields all around Belfast. You'd have the school teams playing. And so our school was no no different. Um, and actually, I think when I was about maybe 12, coming 13, I went to Man United for a week's trial. And at that stage, Norman Whiteside, don't know if you remember him, he, he was two years above me in school and he was already signed with Man United. So we all went over had a week's trial and and usually at that time you went for a trial and um, after the trial they'd say right we'll keep an eye on your progress at school and we'll get you back over but in between me getting over and coming back I think it was a Scoots Cup final we played and I managed to get a couple of goals and we went won the cup and um, the Man City the Manchester City scout was there and he invited me over to Manchester City so I went over there for a week really enjoyed it um, stayed in digs for a week with a, a young boy, John Clark from Dublin. Um, me and him got on, and um, both of us ended up getting invited back to Man City. And so that was from I was obviously 14. So we used to go over in the school holidays. John would fly in from Dublin, I would go in from Belfast. Um, and then at 16, and um, just for 16th birthday, we, we signed our two-year apprenticeship. That's how, that's how that happened. Brilliant. And was there any players at Manchester City at that time who went on to have a good career in the game? In my year, my scholarship year, there was the likes of Andy Hinchcliffe, does the reporting on Sky now, played the African Sheffield Wednesday. Um, David White played the Leeds, and they all played Man City's first team. Um, so there, there was quite a few. Paul Simpson, John Beresford. Um, so there was quite a few. Earl Barra played for England, went to Everton. So there was quite a few, quite a strong city were renowned for that, for their youth ranks. I mean, then if yeah. you go behind me, there was like some Neil Lennon, Stephen Lomas, Jerry Taggart, Michael Hughes, all Northern Irish boys. Brilliant. And obviously you mentioned you were only 16 when you signed there. Was homesickness a, a big thing for you? Did you struggle being away from Belfast? Um, it, it is a struggle. You know, a lot of boys struggled. I mean, um, there was couple of boys from Scotland, Wales, I mean, but the only thing is they could go home at the weekend. For us boys from Northern Ireland down to Southern Ireland, we, we, we were there all the time. So, and, and you're in, like, we all had, I stayed obviously in digs. We had family and you had, like, the, a bedroom to yourself. But most of your time, apart from meal times, was spent in the bedroom. So it was, it was difficult. Um, and in them days, no mobiles, no internet, nothing like that. So... It was the odd letter from home or the odd, the odd um, phone call. So it was pretty difficult, but you just obviously put your head down and tried to make the best of it. Yeah, of course. And then when you reached 18, you returned to Northern Ireland after being released from Man City um, yeah. and signed for Distillery. Yeah, it happens to a lot of players, obviously, of, at that time. And even happens nowadays. Boys, Young boys get scholarships and then 
once they reach that age where it's right, you either stay and get a full contract or you leave. And I was no different, obviously. Uh, as I said, we had quite a strong youth team. Um, so I they pulled me in and said they were going to release me. But they also said that contact from likes of Crew, Port Vale, Burnley, who were interested in me coming along there. But obviously, as you say, 16 away from home, two real hard years, not working out. I just wanted to get home. Um, so I came back to Belfast, um, signed for Lisburn Distillery. I think I was around about November time. And um, so played out the season with them. Yeah, you, you had a fairly successful season there before moving to Linfield, where it really yeah. started to happen for you. Um, tell us yeah. a little bit about that. Yeah, so played the season out with Distillery. Um, and then in the summer, Linfield good who were the big side in Belfast and obviously come from the I come in Belfast to Shankill Road. Linfield's the main team. And they came in for me and I had no hesitation of going there and managed to have a really good season, won the league, which which gave us our six in a row. And then from there, obviously in between that, we had a friendly game of Bordeaux and that's how that interest came about. Yeah, I was going to move on to that. So 1987, you won the Ulster Young Player of the Year. And then obviously following that, you get the opportunity to go to the French champions, Bordeaux. So how, how did that actually then come about then, after I, that friendly? I think, um, obviously, I think it was around about January time, the, the midwinter break at that time. So they, I think they come over and they played a couple of games and they played us. Um, and obviously I must have had a good game at that, that night. And then apparently they came and watched from January to the end of the season. They came and watched a few games, obviously, and, and then decided to put a bid in for me. What was that like as a young young boy to then go to um, well, a massive club like Bordeaux? Yeah, it's, it's a funny one that had happened because I remember rapping the manager's door because there was a lot of rumours around about the same time that Everton were interested. So... Um, I dropped his door and says, look, I'm here and all this. Is this true? And he just says, set me down. He says, look, don't worry about anything here or anybody else coming in. He says, there's something happening. He says, I can't tell you right now. He says, but there's something happening in the pipeline. It's going to blow all these out in the water. He says, just trust me. Um, so I left. Obviously, I was only 18 at the time, so I'm not going to argue with the manager. Um, I was playing every week, and I didn't want to say something or nothing. So the, the, that would harm me getting playing on the Saturday. So I just went with him. And then, funny enough, you mentioned the Ulster Young Player of the Year there. It was after I received that word that night that he pulled me and says, look, um, we need you in the club on, I think it was a Friday night or something like that. He says, we need you in the club on the Monday. He says, I'll pick you up along with the chairman. We've got a meeting in a hotel in Belfast. And that's the first, the first time I heard that. We had met the representatives from Bordeaux. The club wow. accepted a bid and um, a three-year deal was put in front of me. And obviously I had no hesitation in signing it, even though I didn't know where it was. I just knew it was in France. I couldn't speak a word of French, but that was all to come. And I, I was just like, right, I'm doing this. Amazing. And what, what was it like? What, what was the experience like staying in France and playing and training with Bordeaux? And obviously they were involved in European football as well around about that time, so... Been in and yeah, around all yeah. that. It was, it was amazing. I mean, what I when I'm always thinking back out of it, I just think how far ahead they were. Because when when I went there, um, obviously 
they were getting an apartment and that sorted out for me. But in the meantime, I went and stayed in their school of excellence. So this you're talking, as you said, they're 1987, something like that. They had a school of excellence where the kids came in, they did their schoolwork and then trained in the afternoon. So they were based there. Now you look at the academies now, it's only the last, I don't know, maybe 20 years that clubs are starting to do that in, in this country. And this is like that, that long ago, 40 years, whatever it was. Um, so they were well ahead and all that. So I ended up staying there for a couple of months till I got my apartment so that I living with the kids, but training in the first team. And we trained three times a day, which wasn't hard off. And um, obviously going from part-time football to training three times a day. And obviously even being full-time at Man City for two years. First team trained in the morning and home and that was it. So it was a complete different way of life. But I, I loved it because a lot of it was all ball work. It was individual stuff, working on your weaknesses. So it definitely made me a better player. Yeah, brilliant. And, and obviously you played... Go by our research, you played four games for Bordeaux, uh, but then returned back to Linfield on loan to play yeah, football. Yeah, you get these things where at that time, just to let you know, it was like at that time you were allowed to play two foreign players in a league game, and obviously I was classed a foreign player, and three in Europe. So it was on the bench for all the European games. We got the quarterfinal, I think, the UFA Cup. Um, so I was on the bench for all the European games. And then in the league games, we had two Yugoslav brothers. I think one of them was sent forward, Slavko Jugovic, him and his brother. One of them was a captain of Yugoslavia. So they always played. And with him being a centre forward, he got injured. That's how I got four a few inches. Um, but when he was finished, he was back in the team, quality mm-hmm. player. Um, so, and then come the end of the season, I had offers to go to a couple of um, French second division clubs on loan. But again, being away from home, being young, um, the opportunity came that Denver Twins says, Look, you can come here for a year's loan if you want. So I went there um, instead. Yeah, you won another league tit- title there as well. Yeah, won another league title with them. They'd missed out here, I was away. So that was nice to be involved in that and getting winning the league back again. Uh, and then at the end of that year, I was just either stay there, go back to Bordeaux, go down in the French club, see how something's happening. And then I was actually on holiday, leash generation from me. I was only be away two days, so I had to make an excuse to get a flight home. Because I think at that stage where we, the parts of them working up north for pre-season tours, and yeah, so I had to get correct. over pretty quick. Yeah. So that's that's how that came about. So, like I say, you you then signed on loan for the fair one, the 2nd of August, yeah. 1989. So that's how the move come about. What what was it like signing for Dunfermline at that time? So the club had just well, gone up to the Premier League and everything was kind of on the up, wasn't it? Yeah, because for me it was it was a no-brainer. Obviously, it was another progressive step back to like if you go back a wee bit, getting released from Man City, I always wanted to say, look, I'm not gonna give up. I want to be a footballer. Going to Bordeaux, probably went there a wee bit too soon. Um, I'd have loved that the move to happen when it was maybe 22, 23, but you don't. I was never going to turn it down. And at that stage, it was a chance to get in. And you just think of Scotland Premier League, you think Rangers, Celtic, no disrespect to any of the other clubs, to get that chance to play against them and get yourself in it, to play at a standard of football that is close to home. You know, I mean, it's not too far away and it's a, it's a big, big standard. Yeah. And what, what was Dunfermline like as a club at that time? Was it was it really exciting as a, as a player? Was it 
a good dressing room to be in. It was a great dressing room. That's the one thing. I was full of characters, full of experienced pros, boys who'd been about down south, around other clubs in Scotland. Um, really good. And I think I think within a month when I signed, I think when I signed, Doug Rupi signed, Jimmy Nichols signed, um, and then you had boys ready there. Lost Jack, who was down south, come back up the road. And then you had young boys like Raymond Sharp, and then you had Davey Irons. I mean, the list goes on. It was a real good bunch. Mm. And one player I was going to ask you about was this fan, Cosma, who obviously joined from Bordeaux as well. What was this fan like as a player? This fan was a quality player. I think everybody knew that from the day he walked on the training pitch. His physique, his size, his manner, his presence, just everything about him. And plus, for, for such a big lad, he was such a skillful player and a great passer and a good striker on the ball. Mm. Do you feel at that time the club were they underachieving, do you think, for the, the type of players we no, had? And- I, don't think you can underachieve when you it's difficult for me because um that that first part of the season, I think we were in that first season I was there, we were not I mean just got promoted. We actually set top of the league after 15 games or something like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So for a club to come up and obviously the the money we had to spend wasn't great. Um so I think we were doing done done really well. We we're always gonna have a, a down spell. But um, we hung in there and managed to stay up that season. Brilliant. Another guy you mentioned who signed you was Jim Leishman. What what was Jim like as a manager? Jim, as a manager, was probably the best man manager I've ever been involved with in football. And I'm sure everybody will tell you that. And I don't think anybody's telling any lies. He's just such a character. Knew how to get the best idea. Always upbeat. You know what I mean? Even if whether it was after defeat. He went in on the Monday and he was there lively again, getting you going for the next big battle. And I think that's a big say on, on how we achieved and, and you're saying underachieved, but you know what I mean? I mean, you just come up. I mean, there were some games and, and and remember, I think that we get the League Cup semi-final that year as well. We did, against you know Rangers. You know what I mean? It's a, yeah. These are great stats and great memories. And then, you know what I mean? And Leash had a big part to play in all of that. Mm-hmm. Do you remember your first goal for Dunfermline, George? I kind of forget. <laughs> 25 games or something, whatever, down the line. <laughs> yeah, I remember it was the first time ever we played, was at Hamilton in the Cup. I, mean, I think it was at nil each, and it was the poorest game ever. And then the, I think the replay might have been the midweek. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um, I think it's the first time they pulled me and said, like, we're going to leave you out. So I think I come off the bench. Which is ironic that um, you can go. I, I was thinking, I was thanking the fans, the, the Dunfermline supporters for this. I mean, what other striker? You send a striker from abroad, obviously he's from Northern Ireland, but you send it from Bordeaux, you're expecting massive things. This will be the goals to keep us in the Premier League or whatever. And he goes 19, 20, 25 games without scoring a goal, and they never get on his back once. So mm-hmm. anytime I was on the pitch at that stage during that period, I never felt the pressure. I think the, the, there was there was no pressure because every time a name got read out, there was a cheer. Every time I missed a chance, the fans backed me. So I, I can remember other periods of my career further down the line. I went five, six games without scoring, and used to feel the pressure. But I never had that pressure walking out of East End. Um, and I was always grateful for that. But um, yeah, I think that's the goal we're talking about, isn't it? I come off the bench and got a, a toe on the is. end of something. It's claimed that anyway. 
Right, they all count, mate. They all count. What well, What was it like your partnership with Ross Jacks? A lot of Duffield supporters speak really fondly, even though you went through that spell of not scoring. You created a lot of chances for for Ross to score plenty of goals. Now, obviously, going back, I don't think obviously um, Dunfermline hadn't seen me play, but I think once we started pre-season and seen the way I played, I was the type of like more a number ten striker, drop off, length the play up, and then Ross was um, on the shoulder looking for a yard and get a shot away early where I was more creative. So the partnership worked really well. And then when we brought Isfan in, it's sort of a three-way partnership with Isfan, maybe more of a three-way wider, where he would tuck in and work both sides. So I think the partnership um, with myself and Ross, being the two main strikers, um, worked really well because I would go and take him in the feet where Ross would want to be on the shoulder of the defender and um, look to run in behind him and, and get his, his strikes off then. Right, and in that first season, you played thirty-six games, you scored four goals. You then signed permanent four-year contract. I think it, it was an easy decision after you had such an enjoyable year at Dunfermline. Yeah, because of the the year the year that I had, I really enjoyed it. I mean, in the Premier League, playing as I say, up at Aberdeen, over the Edinburgh, to play the Hibs and Hearts and, and everything, and I'd settled in well, um, got on well with all the players. The fans really appreciated me. So and I was hoping that, you know what I mean, that I could repay them eventually with goals. Brilliant. And, and one, I mentioned them earlier, Jim Leishman, one thing I wanted to mention was uh, in the summer of 1990 when Jim was removed as manager. What, what was that like for the players at that time? Were, were you guys surprised by that or did you know this was coming? Or? Um, very, very surprised. Very surprised. Um, you know what I mean, it was a bit of a shock. Um, obviously, we knew Jim came in, didn't take much of the training or any of the training, even though was coaching. And that, and that worked fine. It worked really good because then, I mean, Jim was, we knew what Jim was good at. He was good at getting the best out of out of players and Ian put on good sessions. So it, it was a good balance, a good mix. Um, so nobody had any issues with that. And when we sat there, sort of quarter three, whatever, ready to wait after the team was named and that final speech came in, from Jim, you know, I mean, you went out knowing what it meant for the time, for the supporters, and us as individual in a group. You went out there with a fire in your belly. Yeah. So it was, yeah. it was a, it was a shock. I'm disappointed that he didn't stay on, but I, I understand and see his reasons. Um, because he was great to have about the place, and you could go and like grab him and speak one to one, whether it was football, outside football, whether it was like about family settling, whatever you wanted to talk about, he would. He would um, put his arm around you and give you a chat that was probably the right answer all the time. Yeah, a great, like you say, a great man manager. And then that season after that, Ian Monroe took over. It was a really tough season. But there was one one goal in particular I wanted to ask you about when you scored the winner at Parkhead on the 15th of December 1990. Do you remember much yeah, about that one? Of Dece- 15th of December? Yeah. Oh, I must have celebrated that like no other because that <laughs> was the day after my birthday. Yeah. Um, and obviously coming from Belfast and the, 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 I'm from the blue side on the Shankill Road. So um, obviously scoring the winning goal at um, Parkhead was, uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. I remember yeah. the, the, the jungle would have been still there. It would have been packed. Do you remember who got the other goal for Dunfermline that day? Yes. <laughs> See, you thought you were going to get me there. It was a big Moyes he got it, didn't he? It, it was. It was. It was a 2-1 win. Yourself and David Moyes. Uh, did Charlie Nicholas score for that? 
Uh, I, well, I don't know. See, My I research doesn't go that far. I know. <laughs> Got me there, George. Yeah. <laughs> After that, unfortunately, he started to have a, a really bad um, series of injuries. How how was that to, to, to deal with at the time? So obviously they were quite bad an injuries. Absolute, an absolute nightmare. Obviously you want to play. When you're playing, things are going well and you can control what you're doing. And then when you get injured, and the injuries I had, they weren't like, they weren't, I didn't have a hamstring injury coming out for two weeks. I ruptured my Achilles tendon. Basically had to try and walk again. And so I spent 68 months doing all my rehab and getting sorted for that. And then you get back to the stage where you're ready to play. And I st- started to play, but I was still getting pain. Couldn't figure out where I was coming from. So it was so annoying. Then I started taking some games, I had to take injections to play. And just to try and get over that hurdle, they actually thought, was it a mind thing? You know what I mean? Was it me telling myself that I was feeling pain? Because the x-rays and scans and stuff weren't coming up nothing. Then I had to go to, went to a boy in Edinburgh, took an x-ray and he says, look, I think I've found the problem. Now the Achilles had healed fine, but obviously with, there's still a bit of scar tissue and my bones were quite narrow on the ankle. So he would then shave part of the bone away. So it was another operation and that, that solved that problem. So, and then after that, I think I got back playing and um, was in and out and playing. And I think I was just, I think it was Jockey Scott's first yeah. season, maybe. Yeah, yeah, spot on, mate. Yeah, I just got back up and got back into the team and then played a few games. Um, yeah. And we went to Aberdeen, I think it was in the cup and uh, ruptured by Tricia Ligman, which they told me I had a 10% chance of playing again. Yeah, and just so before that, another twelve months out. That that same season, we got to the League Cup final, and you you'd scored twice in the run up to the the League Cup final against Alloa, and then a three one one against Dundee United. But you were you were telling me before like, you were taking a lot of injections to try and play in these games. Yeah, and especially especially that game, um, they were desperate for me to play. That game, I was desperate to play. Like I'm not putting the blame on on anybody. It's my decision, my body. And so I took an injection before the game and then had another one in the ankle at half time because it was starting to wear a wee bit. But I was just desperate to play um, and to go out and beat a Dundee and I said, well, Dundee and I always had a great side, but um, I don't even know if that night that they have Duncan Ferguson mixed with Pat Lane maybe up front or something. Yeah. So it was a handful um, and I managed to get a goal. So all the pain and, and what you do to get the club no, I mean, I win, especially in a cup game like that. No, I mean, I'd probably do it all again to play in those games. I take it it was a massive disappointment to miss out in the final against Hibs as well. Yeah, I was just starting to join in in training about a week or so before the, the cup final. So Jockey took me with the team, which I don't know was a good thing or a bad thing, but I went anyway. So I went and we trained for a couple of days. Can't remember where we stayed, but so I was involved and all the build-up, and he says, if you had another two weeks in, you know what I mean, you'd have been in my squad, which was um, nice to hear, but also you're thinking, God, why could that game not get rained off? Put back that. But that that's just life, you know what I mean? Yeah, and then the next season, again, you suffered a bad injury, and you only played five games. 
really it must be really tough again mentally and physically. Yeah, yeah that 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 one that one that, um, was really difficult because it was I say I think that's one what I alluded to earlier there up at Aberdeen where I was in a cup game and I've ruptured my cruciate ligament, but he also did a lot of other damage to the knee because uh, it hyperextended. So spent the night up in Aberdeen in the hospital. It drove down the road the next day. We had plaster on. Um, that was a t- tough one because it battled back from the Achilles. Then the associated problems with Achilles having the second operation. And then to do your cruciate and you go there and they're saying, like, we'll try and do our best for you, but you have 10% chance I've ever playing again, but it happened and I battled really hard. And um, with the help of Pip Yates, got back the physio, got back and got playing again. Yeah, and then that following season, 93 94, was undoubtedly your, your best season at Dunfermline when you scored 19 goals and 37 appearances. Was there any goals that stand out for you? Can you remember? Um, it, it's, it's hard, it's hard to remember them all, honestly. Think was a. I know we lost to Airdrie, but I think it was a game just before that. Falkirk at home, I think, was an important game that I scored that day. We drew one each, maybe. Now I could have got that wrong, but I think I'm not sure. I think off the top of my head, but obviously the last day of the season, scoring the four goals, and it turned out to be my last ever game. Always, obviously, is is going to be something that sticks in my head. Of course, was that was that a frustrating day because we were the highest scorers in Britain. Won the most amount of games in the league, yet didn't win the league. Like, how bizarre! Yeah, it is. I, th- I think see if you ever, I think if you look back on that, I think our start to the season we ran away with the league. Only I think if you look at our first four or five games, I think we we give ourselves well, not too much to go to do because we did get there in the end. We could have done it. I say there was a couple of games at the end, but. Um, I think at the start of the season, it took us away and we get going, and that's probably where we lost it. Yeah. What, what was it like working under Bert Payton and Dick Campbell? Um, I would say Bert and Dick were in the leash mode. Typical Pfeiffers, you know what I mean? Full of enthusiasm. Let you go and play. Let you express yourself. So, and that, and that same thing, so it was an enjoyable, enjoyable place. Uh, I think... No disrespect to Gordon Wallace and Jockey Scott. Gordon was his assistant. They were good football men, very professional. And we went through we've been through a bad time and their standards and their demands on the players probably just didn't get the best out of them. But um when Bert and Dick came in, that was like a press of fresh air. They give people that that go and play, go and enjoy yourself without sort of and the structure that um they allowed you that bit of freedom. Yeah, they started to rebuild the club again, didn't they? Yeah. Uh, and, th- and that season for you, everything was going absolutely fantastic. In M- March 94, you then got called up to Northern Ireland's B squad uh, and you played yeah. a couple of games down south. What, what was your memories of that? Yeah, that, that was, obviously, as you say, things were going well. And I think that all started from, I never took a pro-season rest because of the, the, the cruciate ligament. Worked so hard because the told me I wouldn't play again. Home for about a week, come back. Usually the first year fences and that would come in early at Dunfermline and maybe a week, 10 days before the first team would arrive. So I came in, did all the work with them. So I had no real rest of the summer. So, and it's the first time that um, I felt good in my body. 
no niggles, no me. And I think myself and I'm got the best of it. So in the, as you say, the March got called in the one B squad. I think we had to go down and play England at Hillsborough. You did indeed, yeah. And um, they ended up beating us four two, but it was a very we were well in the game. I scored the first goal of the game. They had a really good squad out. I mean, the likes of Paul Merson, um, John Bursford, who you alluded to, played at Man City with me. Steve Bold, I think, played at the back. John Scales. So Kevin Pressman was in goal. You know, I mean, they, they had a pretty good... I think Sutton made, because Sutton made a play as well. So they had a really good, really good squad out. We hope you're enjoying this episode of Walking Down the Holbeath Road. We would also like to thank our sponsors at Inverkeething Hillfield Swifts 2017s. The Swifts are an SFA quality marked community group and have competitive teams for every age group from mini kickers through to amateur level football. So if you're interested in youth football, why not check out their website www.swiftsfc.com Like we said earlier, we failed to gain promotion that season. And then over that the course of the summer, that one of the biggest things in the, probably the club's history happened, and you announced you were going to go to St Johnson. So, what what was the story behind all that, George? What were you even to stay uh, on Fairman? Or yeah, like my intention was to, to, to stay where I was it five years there. First year was really really good. Um, loved the place, massive crowds at the game. Everything was going well. Then got injured. The next three years were probably a bit of a struggle, trying to get fit, um, as we've alluded to. And then that final year, nothing could have went any better for me. So before the season ended, I spoke spoke to the club, but I'd only spoke to one person, and that was um, secretary. And he had come in, he says, right, we'll speak, because obviously we still have a chance of going up. He says, we'll speak. So the season finished, and um, obviously got called in the Northern squad to go to a tour in America. Made my debut in, um, against Colombia in America. Um, it was just before the night before World Cup. And then um, started the game against Mexico the next game. So it was a really good trip for myself. So came back, spoke to the secretary again. Couldn't get a, an agreement at that stage. So went away because my season had prolonged because of the internationals. Came back for pre-season. I'm still, obviously, at that time, there was no pausing, so I couldn't leave the club. So I came back and did, did part of pre-season, but then when the games came, where it said, obviously, the first game came, I can't use you because you're not signed. So I spoke, I've been spoken to the secretary, couldn't get an agreement. And to be fair, I'd even had a deposit on a flat um, just out in Delgate Bay where they were building some new places. So... My whole ethos was, I'm not I mean, we'll get this done, but it just there was no budgeting, there's no movement on anything. Actually, when I, I tried to break it down to him, I'm saying I'm just a no, I'm just becoming international. You're offering me this now. Although I'm not for sympathy or anything, sympathy or anything, but when I first signed for the firm in 1989. When I left in 84, my weekly wage hadn't changed in those five years. What he was offering me, now, in those days, so the first year, when I signed the four-year contract, got signed on for each year, which most players did, and a weekly wage. So then when that was up, um, and the secretary that put in front of me a three-year contract, when you work the sums out, 
The same on fee was less, the wages were a wee bit higher, but they matched. So it was near enough, a couple of pounds in between it, but it was near enough to the same money again. So they wanted me to sign a three-year contract. So I would have been eight years at the club from the day I walked in till the day I walk out on the same the same money. So yeah. that's not even taking inflation into account. And so I just couldn't agree. So then I went, so that first that first weekend when the games came around, I went back, I said to Bernie, you mind if I go to Belfast and have a good thing about this, talk to my family and see where we are? And he says, yes, go ahead. So it was when I went back home, a phone call came through and says, look, Paul Sturt wants to talk to you. It's from the agent. It says, Paul Sturt wants to talk to you at St. Johnson. So I'd only been home two days, had to fly back and spoke yeah. to them. So I spoke to them on the Friday night and then... Late on on the Friday night, got a phone call from the agent saying, look, I've had Bert and Dunfermline on. They want you to go to Falkirk because I think it was, would have been, I think at this right, Brian Rice. They were wanting to yes. do a swap deal. Yeah. They were wanting to do a swap deal. So they were, and I says, well, I'm not doing it. He says, right. I says, because I've told, I hadn't signed for St. Johnson, but I'd agreed. He says, and Falkirk were in the Premier League at the time. Jim Jeffries. Um, and I says, look, although it was very appealing to go to the Premier League instead of the Premier League or to go back to the Premier League, I says, I'm not doing it. I've given Paul Stark my work. So that's how I went to St. Johnson. That's how it came about. But it wasn't for yeah. the lack of not wanting to stay. Yeah. And the firm, and, and like, and obviously, the, when I went and spoke to St. Johnson, it was, it was so different from having my, my dealings with the secretary at the confirmation. It was like, you know I mean, they told me they wanted me, told me the structure of play, <clears> where I was yeah. put in. And it was like, when I'll give you one wee quick story. When I went and spoke to the, the secretary at Dunfermline, he, he turned mm. around and said to me, I'm one of the meetings, like, George, where are you going to go? You've been out injured for three years. Nobody's going to want you. With that injury record, we're offering you a good deal here, three years security, you're injury prone. You know, and I'm like, seriously, yeah. I've just had the best year of my life. Proving my fitness, I'm happy in my body and in myself. And you're basically trying to put me down to bring me in to sign the contract. And that's that's where, obviously, I know the Fern fans weren't happy with certain things that I may say. And but the, my frustration wasn't towards the fans. And I've always been sorry for that that was taken that way, because um, I was maybe having a pop at the club in the way they were trying to deal with me more than what I'd seen from the supporters were always, I mean, we talked about my first year there, no other player in the world. I thought we got away what I got away with. I sent a few yeah. not scoring any goals. So I'll always be appreciative for that. Looking back at your, your time at Dunfermline, has there been a, was there a favourite game or a favourite goal that, that you scored in that period? Um, I think my, my favourite game, well, the most memorable game sticks in my head, is the first time we played Rangers at East End. I think there must have been about 17,000 people in that game. I think we drew in each. Ned, Chris Woods, probably Terry Boots, or Trevor Stephen, Gary Stephen. The list is endless. And I think we drew in each of them. And I could be wrong, but I'm nearly sure we did. And uh, um, at East End Park. And it was unbelievable. And obviously, coming from Belfast, big Rangers fan, that was like the first time I'd ever played against the old fan. I think. I think we played Celtic after that. Um, it was it was unbelievable. Brilliant. And, and obviously, to get a result was good. Yeah, it's always a bonus. It doesn't happen very often. 
Uh, and reflecting on your teammates over your time, who, who were the main characters and, and the guys you were you were close with? Obviously, with with me, the, the first year was there. Um, it's I mean, you, you come in as a kid, and there's all these experienced players and some others. So, and living in the time, boys come in in cars and went away in cars. So I tried to get on with everybody, and everybody was always good to me. Obviously, you had John Watson before he went away to Fulham. Laurie, God bless his soul. Big lad was a, no, I mean, he was confirming, you know what I mean? I spent many a good time with him. And there was, you know what I mean, there's Stuart Rafferty, Ross Jack, Ian Westwater, Paul Smith, um, one of the nicest people to ever meet in football. You know what I mean? There was all sorts of guys, and then young Raymond Sharp, and we'd, we'd have, Raymond Farnham was a character, funniest man ever. You know what I mean? There, there was there was a lots of them. Brilliant, mate. And you mentioned up there, Norrie McCarthy. I was I was going to touch on that because obviously you, you went to St. Johnston when how did you hear when Norrie had passed away? Do you do you remember that? Yeah, came into training. Uh, um, you gotta remember we had, think that we still have Andy Rhodes, Davy Irons, I think Roddy Grant might have been back at the club then. So we were all at St. Johnston. Was Alan, I don't know if Alan Preston was there at the time though. So it was a lot of his, you know what I mean, that played it. With Norrie at them from So I think just we arrived at training, someone came in and broke the news, and it's like, you know what I mean? Like all us and that children, we all knew Norrie. Even the, the boys, Johnson boys, only knew Norrie playing against them, knew what a character he was, and, you know what I mean? What a personality he was, and what we all thought of him, because we're always, we're all, everybody's always telling stories about Norrie, you know, turning up late for training, turning up this, you know, in his, in his kit. Straight down to Petrivi, and um, so um, everybody in Scottish football knew about Norrie, so it was absolutely devastating. Yeah, really sad, and even still, the, the club's still still hurting from that. It's a really difficult one, isn't it? You, you mentioned a name earlier, Paul Sturrock, who was the manager at St Johnson. So you signed for Paul. What what was he like? Obviously, he was a legendary footballer. So what was he like as a manager? Yeah, he was he was uh, very very good. There was a change in, there was probably a wee change in my game. And it sort of started with Jockey Scott. I just got back fit and then in the team and I probably wasn't 100% fit. And he says to me, right, I just want you to play the width of the 18-yard box. And that's where he says, I don't want to see you wide or stuff. Whereas probably my game before that, I was everywhere across that front line helping out people up stuff like that and then Paul started to get to another level where like movement in the box always didn't want me to get rid of coming deep and linking it up but once I get in the box my movement in the box why I always had to be in the box um so even if I did come deep I had to sprint to get into the box not watch the pass and he really changed my game into where I become like I always I was always a natural finisher I even know in my early days the front didn't seem like that but I think the last season, people see that I could score goals. So, and I carried that on. I mean, you think that season, I think I ended up on 19 or 20 goals or something like that. And then I went to St. Johnson, got, I think it was 26, then 20 again, and then 16 again. So, and then Paul started really honed in on that. I was a good finisher, but maybe not getting in the areas where I needed to show that. So, yeah. he was really good for me. Right. And that, that first season, there was a game at East End, your first visit back. I just I, I want to hear from your point of view, like what was that like for you? Obviously, it's still spoken about the amount of abuse that you suffered that day and how, how bad and poisonous it was. Was that difficult for you? 
was it difficult? I think if, if you look if you look how the game panned out, if you look, I would say no because that's the type of character I am. Um, used to relish you know, the big games and going away to grounds where it's going to be tough and stuff like that. But if I'm being honest, if you look back, it was a three 0 win for Dunfermline. I think I actually yeah. get substituted. Yeah. So, in hindsight, if you're looking at that and looking at all all the pointers the game you said did, now am I saying no, it didn't? But the evidence there says it did. Yeah. So on that score, it, it probably did, it probably did. Now whether that was subconsciously or I couldn't get in the game, or the other way you can look at it is that the atmosphere of the game drove the defenders on saying this is the one game we can't lose. Yeah. I don't know what said in their dressing room or what Nori and the boys who knew me were saying, look, this is the one game, you know what I mean, the fans are wanting to win because yeah. of, obviously, the relationship I had with them. It wasn't a bad relationship I had with them for fans, but obviously, once I went, it was. So I, th- I think if you if you put all of that into context, it was probably a scenario of I didn't perform, which I didn't. Dunfermline performed really well. The crowd reacted how they reacted, but at the end of the day, the front got this got this three 0 win, and everybody was so happy apart from me, which was <laughs> probably pleased them all. <laughs> uh, over the next two seasons, George went really well for you, St. Johnson. You won the first division player of the year, ninety five, ninety six. I think that's uh, your usual dump, wasn't it? It is indeed. It is indeed. I was going to mention that. <laughs> uh, and then the following season, you guys won the first division to the Premier League, 96-97. What, what was that like? Really good. Uh, obviously, Paul Sturt was building a team. He kept telling us he was building a team for the Premier League, not to get out of the Premier League. So he says he was given time to take it a wee bit longer. Was, I don't think he was under pressure to rush to get up, but when he got up, the objective was to stay up and be able to compete. So I think that was that was a philosophy they had. So it was every year was bringing in a couple more. So it did take us two or three years to get up. Yeah. Um, but once we got up, I think we finished fifth or something, and then finished yeah. third in our second season. So um, it was really good first couple of years back in the Premier League. Yeah. What what characters were at St. Johnson during that time? Well, as I say, Roddy Grant, who was at Dunfermline, and I played with him Dunfermline a couple of times. He was he was came back to St. Johnson. So me and Roddy headed off straight away and got a partnership going. Davy Irons there for a while. We had made a, a really good team and then started evolving. Nick Dazovich, Jim Weir, you know what I mean? Rosie, then Alan Mean came in, outstanding. You know what I mean? Colin Davison for a while, young Danny Griffin, who was from Belfast, played for Royal Ireland, had a good career. Philip Scott was a young boy coming through. Um, Lee Jenkinson was a winger we got from Coventry, was outstanding. You know what I mean? His crosses were unbelievable. So we, 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 the makings of a good side and um, did well in that first couple of years back to the Premier. Yeah, and then in 1998, you played in the League Cup final against Rangers. Yeah, and that's, I don't know if, obviously you'll not have looked, but I don't think I played much after that because I shouldn't have played. I never played three weeks before the Cup final. Played in the semi-final, scored against Hearts at Eastern Road, but then um, tore my groin pretty badly. I could play 50 minutes, 60 minutes, then I'm just having to come off and it caught right up with me. Never played after the semi-final until the final was my next game. So I should never have played in the final, but 
Sandy, who was a manager, Sandy Clark, he was desperate for me to play. So I played, and I think I lasted about 65 minutes, something like that. But obviously, we know the history of me in cup finals. There was no way that I wasn't going to play if he was wanting to play me. So that that was so I remember the semi final more fondly because yeah. I was finished. Played, scored the third goal, and when we three 0 up, you know that's it. There's no way Hearts were coming back. So the semi finals yeah. probably was more more fond memories for me in the final. It's a final that passed me by because I wasn't I wasn't fit, but yeah. it was a final I was determined to play in. Yeah, and then like you say, after that, you really struggled with injuries. Yeah, um, at St Johnson, you you were there for seven years though and made 146 appearances, scored 64 goals. Was there any goals in particular during your time there that, that you remember really fondly? Obviously, again, winning goals against the Old Firm. I both up, up at McDermott Park, and I think it was 1-0 win against Celtic, uh, 2-0 win against Rangers, um, scoring at Ibrox. Then I think there's, there's a day at Motherwell, well, it wasn't halfway line, but a few beers in me, it's in my own half. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's a few, yeah, and then obviously being a, a playing for St. Johnson, the big games are Dundee, Dundee United, Aberdeen. So Dundee United, uh, the Dundee games, especially away from home, managed to score winners in both of those games. They they were big, you know what I mean? Always going away with my support and getting the winning goals against Dundee United. Dundee were great. Brilliant, mate. I want to touch on your international career. As well, you you won thirteen caps for your country, and you scored in a game against Germany. What what was the real highlights for you playing for your country? Obviously, that just that that you've got you're representing your country. You're putting the jersey on. You're standing there. The nice anthem's going. And you're from Belfast. You're playing in the the team you won the league with twice at their home ground. A lot of no, so a lot of support. No, you as a local kid. That day in particular, playing the Germany game, it was, I think it was their last warm-up game before the 96 Euros. And um, they had a full team out. Klinsman, and he looks through the team with the full lot out. And um, they scored again 1-0 up. The only thing is, they equalised about 20 seconds later. They missed two penalties. But they put, a, they put us 1-0 up. Um, probably one of the best moments I've had. How do you reflect back on your international career earning 13 caps? Frustrating. It is frustrating. 13, one start, 13 appearances. Just when I thought I was going to get an opportunity, an injury, I got an injury. So it is, I do feel a wee bit frustrated, but frustrated in a nice way that, yes, it could have been better, but nobody's going to ever take that away from me, 13 caps in your country, whether they're for a minute each or five minutes each. I mean, it's... Um, I was in probably, I don't know, 20, 30 squads and never even got on. So, you know what I mean? The 13 appearances were cherished and they're still cherished. Yeah, no, nah, brilliant, mate. And then after leaving St. Johnson in 2001, you you join a series of clubs, really. You got Race Rovers, Brecon, Queen of the South, and then return to Ireland. You have a yeah, really good season. Yeah, you're just fighting that losing battle. Obviously, when, when, I, when I left St. Johnson, I was still injured. So... They agreed, um, basically how it started was they agreed for, for myself and Kevin to get treatment at Wraith. Um, so we went down there, we got treatment. So I, they were they were treating us. Um, so I managed to get fit, did a pre-season with them, signed for them for, I think it was a month or two months, but then had a niggle calf injury, couldn't get fit. Then Dick obviously was up, Regan Dick Campbell, 
Dunbar for a month, played five games, scored a couple of goals. Roddy was up there again, so me and Roddy hit it off again. Um, Roddy Grant, that is. So then Dick offered me a contract, but just I was thinking of signing the, the contract because just wanted to play football after being out for so long. Queen of South came in and made me a really good offer. It was a higher league, so I went there and played, obviously, and um, again, played seven or eight games, and then got, I was starting to get soft tissue muscle injuries, and that's just a lack of lack of game time, lack of fitness, lack of, you know what I mean, um, getting the right preparation for games, um, because you're always chasing your tail, trying to get fit. And then I came over to Ireland, after that didn't work out, uh, come over to Ireland and flew in and out and played for a year and a half. Yeah, you played at Glenavon and then you joined Ards, is that correct? Uh, I joined Ards in yeah. six months there, but could never get fit. So I was just wasting people's time. So well, at Glenavon, I played I played most of the year I played most of the year there and I played yeah. in the middle of the park for them. So I did much of a different role and you know, help the young boys around me and stuff like that. And then I went to Ards and um, couldn't really calf injury, hamstring injury, groin. And it was just one after the other. So I decided in December just to rip up my contract and come back back to Scotland where I was living at the time. Yeah, so you you come back to Scotland, you started playing in the juniors at Bonnes, Kelty and Carnoustie before hanging yeah, out the boots. Played it, came back and played it at Bonnes. Kevin Thomas was there, who I knew at St. Johnston, obviously. Jimmy Sanderson was the manager. So I knew Jimmy, obviously, from the early days with all his good battles with him. And I managed to get a good run, and I loved it. For I was there two and a half years, and I really loved it because I was playing every week. Probably the demands on my body didn't seem as, as, as severe as what I was putting on myself to come back and play at a professional level, but was doing enough to get me enjoyment back. And then there was one day, I just I think we were playing Penny Cook, and um, one day turned around, the guy caught me, opened up my knee, and that was the end of that. And I really got fit again. I went to Kelty, but never never played for Kelty. And then went to Canusti as assistant manager. After that, I was there for two and a half, three years. And that was me, I think that was me finished in, in Scotland. Yeah, did you did you get a taste for the, the coaching and management side then when you started? Um, I enjoyed it. Canusti. Then, as I say, that was me finished there. Then I came back to Belfast in 2010, I think it was. Came back to Belfast, I lived 2010. And um, I went and helped my, my brother, played all his career at the local team, local Albert Foundry, they're called in the juniors. So I didn't help them because I knew the manager. He asked me to come up and take a couple of sessions. Ended up enjoying it. The boys enjoyed the sessions. So I ended up and got up and helped him for two and a half, three years. So then I decided, right, I'll do my coaching badges. So got as far as my B licence and Lisbeth Distillery came in and offered me the job. So the boy I was working at Albert Friday with, I said to him, why don't you come in with me? He says, but I'm manager here. I says, look, it's a title. doesn't mean nothing to me. Come in as co-manager. I says, if you want to be called manager, do it. I mean, um, it doesn't bother me. Let's we've worked well together here. So we went to this Lisbon distillery, spent three years there in the third tier in the Irish League. And then um, we got the opportunity just before the pandemic to move to Harlem with Welders. They're in the championship, second tier. So we went there, lasted 19 games. It's a strange one. Still don't understand 
what really happened. We were never in the bottom two, never in the bottom six, but no lower than six. And it was 19 games in the season. Mm-hmm. And we only had one transfer window and they decided to sack us. And so that was just before the pandemic. So, and since then, um, that was, I was out of football, obviously, through the whole pandemic, which I don't think was a bad thing because I hear a lot of boys struggle with it. Coaches yeah. not knowing when they get a preseason, when they train players, players struggling to train. So, I'm now I'm, I'm, I'm helping out at Albert Foundry again, just giving the boy a hand over pre-season and do some sessions with the boys and start back next week with them just to give them a hand and see, see how they go on. There's a very young side and see oh, what yes. happens. But it just gets you in the house, keeps you involved. Yeah, I take it you still want to be involved in football at some capacity. That's that's a difficult question. Um, I'm in helping because it's a favourite at the minute, whether I get, get the bug for wanting to do it in a more stringent, strict way, or go back into the professional game, I don't know. I don't know. I honestly couldn't couldn't say. But you, you never know in football, do you? That's it. Wait and see what happens. Looking back over your career, George, do you have any regrets in football? What, what's been your... Regrets? Because everything that was put in front of me, I've always took it. As, as you say, as you look through, as a young kid, going to Man City, living away from home when there was no social media or ways of contacting your parents or anything like that. Then coming back, then going to France as a 18-year-old, um, not knowing where I was going or what, lab, what the language and fire was going to be and what was off in front of me. Then taking the gamble, going to Dunfermline, who just been promoted. I didn't really know anything about Dunfermline. I knew about, obviously, the Scottish League with Rangers, Celtic, Aberdeen, Hearts, stuff like that. So I've always didn't want to leave Dunfermline. Took that chance, went to St. Johnston. They probably got the best three years out of me along with that last year at the family. So worked out again. And so no, not no regrets because I've always I've always took always took whatever was in front of me was I thought was was yeah, every angle life's a gamble. So I mean the way I looked at it, well, where I'm sitting, if I go and take that gamble, it doesn't work out. Can you come back to where you were and that's your level? And and you'll sort of um, at the end of the day, you'll find your level, and, and it's up to you whether you enjoy enjoy yeah. that level or not. Do you get fed up with it and go and do something else? Brilliant. And uh, what's George O'Boyle doing these days? Well, as I say, I had still involved up until a couple of months before the pandemic, sort of December time. I was um, involved in coaching with three, five, so that was like sort of seven years professional side here. So that's what I was doing football-wise. Um, on a personal note, work-wise, I've got my own oven cleaning business, domestic ovens. I've had that, been doing that basically, what, just over 10 years now. Um, so that's basically what, what, I, what I do. Because I work for myself, and that's why they give me that time to go and do the, the football if I wanted to. Brilliant, mate. And just to finish off, we do a top five which applies to your time spent at Dunfermline. So the first one is the most memorable game. I think the most memorable game is, there's, there's, depending on where you want to put it, that first Rangers game at East End, I'm sure it was in the You'll mm. need to check that out for me. That was unbelievable for somebody who supported Rangers as a kid and a boy to walk out and then see the Dunfermline crowd and the Rangers crowd and, and go and match them on the day. And then obviously that last game I ever played for Dunfermline will always stick in my memory. Um, to get four goals in any games, 
know what I mean? It's unbelievable. But then for it to be my last game there, is, 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 it's a nice memory to have. Yeah. And who was your best mate during your time? My best mate? As I said, um, obviously I wasn't one of the travellers, so I was always there. And, um, there was a time when there was, um, there was Pat McAllister, Norman Kelly, and myself, three Belfast lads, London Bike and Fernand, which wasn't pretty at times. <laughs> um, but um, we obviously from Belfast were stuck closely together. But I mean, and then, and then the other hand, you could say Yates was my, he lived out the back of me and probably seen him more than anybody else at the front. And I owe him a lot because he got me through a lot of dark times. No, nah, brilliant. Pip's a, a great guy and he's still involved at some capacities. Surgery is actually based at East End Park now. Good, good. So I'll tell him you're asking for him. The best player you played against? I think in those, while I was with them family. Yeah. Yeah, I think in those early days when you when you run out, and I'm sorry to harp on about it, but you, you've got like Terry Butcher there <laughs> and then you see the iconic figure that he was with England and Ipswich down south for the, the boys that remember him, which was which was great. I, I was in, you maybe not in awe or intimidated, but like when you look at the team sheet, you go out and stand there, he's six foot, whatever he is, and then to go and put, put your wits against him. So yeah, that's one that I I was really looking forward to. Yeah, he, he was as big and as aggressive and as angry as what I thought he would be. So that's that's one that always sticks in my mind. Brilliant. Uh, your favourite stadium to play in? Favourite stadium? Do you know, I love playing at Tyne Castle because they're close in. And I don't know, there's always something, especially, in the, I mean, in the latter days at St. Johnson, they built the stands and it seemed even closer. But in the early days of um, with Dunfermline, I don't know, there was something about crossing the bridge. The Hibs Hearts games away were really good. Mm-hmm. The atmospheres were really good, so I really enjoyed them. But I would say between Eastern Road and Tyne Castle, I, I would go for Tyne Castle. It was just something about, maybe because it was only a wee trip, 20-minute trip across the bridge. There was something about there. If you got a result that day, you know that the yeah. Dunfermline fans would home happy. And as I say, both the grounds were probably, the, the crowd was tight here, so you heard a lot of things. But the last the last time we won at Tyne Castle, you actually scored the winning goal for the Fermline. There you go. So that tells you how long ago that was. <laughs> and looking back, what what would be the your the one memory you could take away from your your time at Dunfermline that you think really fondly about? It's mixed with the that four 0 game. If you're talking about football on the pitch, the four 0 game because to score four goals is, is an achievement and a game or where as we're playing as players, you score in the goals, you know that's your job done, and you're waiting on another result. And, no, I mean, obviously feed gets on later on in the game, but, no, I mean, you do your job first, so to help the team there. And then, obviously, it being your last game, I know I have no regrets how my career went after that, but at that moment in time, when you're when, when you when I knew it was going to be my last game, it's, so it has mixed memories. But I suppose for that reason, when I think of them, it's always yeah. like the day I scored four, and the day it was my last game, and it was the East End Park. And yeah. you know what I mean, so you could say that memory is the crowd were on your side, and then you leave and they're against you, and that's I think that sums up um, my, my time at East End. Brilliant, mate. Well, that's us, George. I can only thank you again for taking the time to speak to us. That's been absolutely really not a problem. I appreciate it. And um, I know you probably know that I've, I've promised the big leash next time in Scotland <laughs> I'll come down and have lunch with him. So if you're about and you want to tag on, that's not a problem. 
I will do, mate. I'll speak to Big Leash and see when uh, we can sort that out. Get a wee beer. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for listening. Remember to subscribe to this podcast, which is now available on all popular platforms such as Apple iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and YouTube. Thanks to our guest as always in this episode of Walking Down the Hull Beef Road. Remember to check out our sponsors in Starna Apparel and the Swift's 2017s. This podcast was produced by Jan Mokiewicz and music supplied by Stuart Dusty Miller. We look forward to speaking to another part in the next episode. Thank you.